You're listening to a sermon from Hebron Baptist Church, a church in the northern Kentucky Cincinnati area that's committed to making disciples who make disciples. We want our love for God to be evident in our lives and for the Word of God to bear fruit as we go on mission across the street and around the globe. We hope after hearing this message, you'll connect with us on our website at hebronbaptist.org and visit our campus, not far from I-275 in Hebron, some Sunday morning. Our worship services are at 9.30 or 11. And now, here's a message from God's perfect, life-changing Word. may be seated turn your bible to James 4:13 James 4:13 we'll read to verse 17 as we continue our series on reset hope in the midst of burnout depression and anxiety today we're continuing kind of the turn in our series of of basically principles that we live by that will also keep us from busyness burnout depression and so today uh, uh, you, we're going to look at that a couple just a quick um, commercial, so to speak. Um, we had two new additions to our counseling session wall, and uh, we, uh, last time I said something, you wiped us out, which is a good thing, and so we've kind of uh, uh, restocked, um, but there were two that we were waiting for. They were back order. One is uh, overcoming anxiety relief for worried people, and then the other one, a new one that we've talked about, that actually we're going to talk about today. It's very Timely, burned out, question mark, trusting God with your to-do list. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Busyness is a form of control. And the question we must ask ourselves is, do we control God with our plans? Well, that's what James speaks on today. So let's look at these uh, verses together and see how we might trust God with our plans. Verse 13 says, come now. You who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is a sin to know the good and yet not do it. Let's pray. God, we are thankful this morning for your word as it instructs us and guides us. It is living and active. And so we know that it is actively right now as we read it, working in our hearts. And we pray today as we consider these words from you, that it would shape us and mold us and change us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And there was a recent novel that uh, tells of a man who had befriended a new non-English speaking friend. And to his concern was every time this non-English speaking friend, would he, they would, he would say, hello to them, how are you? And they would respond kind of in a weird way. They would say, busy, busy, busy. And every time that, that they said, how are you? Busy, busy. And so uh, it took him a while to realize that as she was learning English and listening to people around her, she learnt, thought that that was the appropriate expression to say back. She didn't know any other way. 
Now, isn't that funny? Because it, it shows or speaks to something that, that, that our culture is pervasive with, whether it's our neighbor, our friend, our, our relative or something. What do we say? How are things going? We're busy. We're busy. We're, we're busy. The problem with busyness is, is that it's a, it's a sense of controlling. It's an over-controlling, actually. It, it's trying to say, I want to control what's going on in my life. I want to be able to control the future. I want to control my plans. We stay busy so that we can control what comes next. In our planning, in our lives, we are trying to stay busy so that we control every element. And when we do so, we get anxious because we want to control those things. I talked to a middle schooler, not here at this church, but my previous church, and they were in middle school, seventh grade, and they were concerned because they got a B. They were like literally despondent, sad, crying because her plan was to go to a certain college and go to that college and become a, a doctor and go to the right medical school. And the pressure that had, she had put on herself for this plan to happen is almost was ruining her life. Because 1B, she thought the whole plan was going to go out the window. That's just a symptom of something that we see that planning is good, but planning can overwhelm us and control us. We must be planning with the providence of God in mind. Now, what is providence? Well, uh, J.I. Packer says in his Concise Theology book, he says, if creation was a unique exercise of divine energy causing the world to, to be, providence is a continued exercise of that same energy whereby the creator, according to his own will, keeps all creatures in being, evolves himself at all events, and directs all things to their appointed end. The model of this purposive personal management with total hands-on control, God is completely in charge of this world. His hand may be hidden, but his rule is absolute. Friends, God is controlling all things, writing our stories, making the right plans, and if we trust his word, he's making our plans for the good and not, our, not for our uh, are bad. He is working it for his glory. And if we trust these things, we must trust his plans for us. But what do we do? We grab the control stick of our life and try to put it all in order. And friends, it's just like operating heavy machinery without a license. When we try to control our plans instead of God, we could hurt ourselves or others. Because what happens is, is as we try to control things, control our future, we either kind of fall into one or two categories or maybe even more that we, that we are always anxious. We're trying to control every little element and make sure that it's perfect. Or maybe we, we get angry because the, the plans that we have made are not coming to the way that we wanted them to go. Never once looking to see how God has wanted our plan to go. So we need to trust God's providence when we plan and live our lives. We need to trust God and his goodness for us. And you might think to yourself, well, how can God control everything with the existence of sin, 
uh, the, the, the influence of Satan? How can God? Well, friends, I'll just say this. This is one of those paradoxical or, or, or things that we can't understand this side of heaven. But we know in a sovereign, omnipotent, good God who has promised in his loving, infinitely holy way, all wise, all knowing to work all things for our good and for his glory. And if we trust this, then we trust in his plans. It's just like uh, J.I. Packer again puts it in his theology book, the doctrine of providence teaches Christians that they are never in the grip of blind forces such as fortune, chance, luck, or fate. All that happens to them is divinely planned and each event comes as a summons to trust, obey, and rejoice knowing that all is for one spiritual and eternal good. As you plan and live your life, Are you trusting God? Do you find yourself to be a control freak trying to plan out every little element? Do you find yourself being anxious and worried and troubled or angry because it didn't go your way? Are you with good intentions for the good of the people around you even trying to control their lives and trying to make sure everything works out in their way? Or at least the way that you think that it's supposed to go. Or maybe you've learned the hard lesson that we all learn eventually. That we can't control the future. We can't make plans that are perfect. But today I want to challenge us to trust in God's plan and follow him. Things happen unexpectedly, but to him nothing is. Nothing is out of his control. He promises for our own spiritual and eternal good. And so today, I want to contrast what James says here to avoid arrogant planning and to try, with the Spirit's power, humble planning instead. So let's just look at the two together. The first one, we want to avoid arrogant planning. Avoid arrogant planning. Well, we read the scripture today and James gets to the heart of the matter of the sin in this letter. Uh, Over and over again through his letter, he avoids arrogance. What is the causes of, um, of dissensions among you? It's arrogance and pride in your heart, right? And so here again, he says, what's the problem with you and the anxiety of your, of your planning? You are planning arrogantly. Verse 13, he says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring, what will life will be, for you're like a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes. James is using a fictional business person who goes on a, uh, what would be normal in that day of business going and may, uh, growing something and traveling and doing and trade and, and, and then making the money and coming back. And what he uses here is to to watch to say, we must be cautious of our arrogant planning and our control of our lives that we think that we can control it all on our own to execute whatever plan that we think we have without any consideration of God. It is the same warning that uh, that Jesus gives us over in Luke chapter 12. Jesus tells us, it says he tells a parable. A rich man was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do 
since I don't have anywhere to store my crops. I will do this, he said. I will tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jesus gives a warning shot across the bow of our hearts with this, doesn't he? That, that even in a wisdom or wise plan that we must be cautious that how much energy and how much we do without care of God. This is a warning shot to make sure that we avoid an arrogant type of planning that we plan without any consideration of what God would have for us or, or what could happen in God's plan. What are some things that we can do to avoid this arrogant planning? Well, one, don't forget your lack of knowledge. Don't forget your lack of knowledge. We can make all the plans in the world, but friends, we don't know what we don't know. There's only one God who knows it all. We think that we can plan a year in advance and come as go as he pleases. As it says here, today or tomorrow, we will travel and do this such a thing. And, and we will come back a year from there and we will come back with a prophet. Well, well James is saying, you, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know how this year is going to go. This is very similar to what we are reminded in Isaiah chapter 46. Remember what happened long ago. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done saying my plan will take place and I will do all things. This is a reminder to us that we don't know what we don't know. We can plan, but only God knows what will happen in our future. We also need to be cautious that we don't forget our fragility. As we see here, James says that in verse 15, uh, excuse me, verse 14, you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Maybe the older we get, this becomes more reality than when we were younger. But our arrogance blinds us to the fact that we are just here for a little while. We are here, but maybe on average, what, 80 years? But in, this, in the wisdom and knowing of eternity, it's just a speck or blip on the radar. We can't master our destiny, but our lives are insubstantial and fleeting as the morning mist as it appears and then disappears. Psalm 39, five through six says, in fact, you have made my days just inches long and my lifespan is nothing to you. Yes, every human being stands as only a vapor. Yes, a person goes about like a mere shadow. Indeed, they rush around in vain, gathering possessions without knowing who will get them. You see, our lack of clarity on our frailty keeps us from seeing a beauty of God that he's always protecting us. The reality is is that we don't know how long our lives are. And if we store for ourselves just treasure or time or influence here and not that of heaven, not of a consideration of the kingdom of God, not of how important God is in our lives, we lack the reality of understanding our fragility that we could be here today and gone tomorrow. 
What is it that we want to be known for? Glorifying God in everything we do or collecting stuff and and accolades and, and many different other things. What do we understand about our fragility? We lose the fact of understanding that God is watching over us constantly. And one day, when we get to heaven, we're going to realize that God watched over us a lot more than we, when we knew. That our life could have been a whole lot shorter. The reminder for us is to be humble, to understand that God is in control of all that we do and everything that we have. So we must not forget, let her see, our dependence on God. Verse 15, he says, instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. We will say, we will do this or that. We want to do this or that. We want to go here. We want to go there. We want to do this and we want to do that. But James says, we must preface it all if the Lord wills. Now, this is not magical words. This is not a hope prayer that we put over. This is not the prayer of Jabez that we throw on our plans and our hopes for the future. This is not saying that we rub a magic rabbit foot. This is not saying, God, we hope this happens. No, we're saying that we trust you, God, that if this doesn't happen, we know it's for our best. And if it does, then it's all because you made it out to be. God, if you will it, if you want it to happen. Paul modeled the same thing as he journeyed to Jerusalem, knowing that he might go and suffer harm. But we see this most importantly in Jesus' example in the spirit of Gethsemane. As he was facing the cross, he says, thy will be done. It is this spirit of understanding, if the Lord wills, that we trust the dependence of God. And what is James saying? What is the Lord saying to us through his inspired word? Is he saying, don't plan? No, that's not what he's saying here. He says all throughout the scripture that planning is wise, that we should gather food in the summer to guarantee supply in the winter. He talks about that in Psalms and Proverbs. He, he, uh, uh, he applauded Moses for his planning to get the people out of Egypt. God blessed Joshua for leading a plan to get into Canaan. Paul rightly planned where the gospel might go. To refuse to plan would be of a sloth nature. And it's easy to drift along and not plan with inadequate food and funds and making sure that you are planning wisely for the future. But we can also plan that overlooks the purpose and plan of God in our lives. We can plan to make ourselves look good. We can make our plan to make our families to look good. We can do so to look good in the eyes of our neighbors, to get fame and fortune and, 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 and plan in a way that makes us look that we've got it all together. But plan is entirely proper as long as we remember God is sovereign and that we are frail, that we are ignorant and we are dependent on him. So what James is challenging here is not not to plan, but to plan humbly. We need to plan humbly while trusting God. So how do we do this? Well, number 
letter A, we dedicate your plans to God. Dedicate your plans to God. We know as we plan that the plans are not for our glory, but for the glory and good of God. It is for his good and his honor. I've shared this illustration many times before, but I think it's proper to remind us here again. That let's say that you have a terminal illness, an illness and a, a disease that, that medical uh, devices, medical knowledge cannot come. But you have found uh, that overseas there is one cure for it and that it would cost you more than you could ever have. If you sold everything, your house, any possessions, any belongings, any loan that you could ever get, you could not afford to get this cure. And so you're downtrodden. You know that there is no hope for you. But out of the blue, your neighbor sells a bunch of things and gives up themselves and buys that cure for you. And you live. And you're healed. This is just a free gift from your neighbor because your neighbor says, I love you. I couldn't help to see you suffer and die. And you get this gift and you receive this gift. Isn't it amazing? That's a free gift. There's no way that you could repay your neighbor. But wouldn't you live in many different ways to, to make much of your neighbor? <laughs> wouldn't you make sure that they're yard is taken care of or if they needed child care you'd be the first one to say let me do that or if you if they need help in any way or you go around the neighborhood and you go around and brag on your neighbor you talk about all the things that they've done for you 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 live in honor of the name of your neighbor the rest of your life anything they need you would do well isn't that the response of us to the glory goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are dead in our trespasses of sin and there is not enough good that we could ever do in our life that would get us right with God, that we had no hope, that we're going headlong to an eternity and hell and suffering and separation from God. We know that we're made, all made for eternity, but we're, some of us are made for eternity in hell because of our sin. We know that there is no hope for us, but God, who is rich in mercy, gave his son Jesus to die for us, a free gift of grace that, that we receive just by believing and repenting. And therefore, if we are saved, if we're redeemed by Jesus, Jesus, by God himself, then we will do everything in our life to glorify him. Amen? Well, shouldn't we do the same thing with our plans? Shouldn't we honor him and what we're going to do with our life? And our plan for next week, our plan for the future, our plan in our vacations, our plan in our workspaces, our plan with our, our life, our school, all of these different things should be in honor and glory of God. Fortunately, many of us live as though that we're functioning atheists. We believe he exists, but he has no touch on our lives. Instead, we don't think of anything in our plans to connect to him. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says, whatever you do, do it from your heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Planning in this way helps us to look at our plans, not how they benefit us, but how they bring the most glory to God. 
had a businessman who told me once that I could retire, but I want to work a few more years because I hope to have more to give and go to a Christian cause. You see what he said? He could, get, he could retire now, but in his mind, in his estimation, that he thought that if he works a few more years, that he could use the capital gain, not for himself, but for the Lord. He didn't say, have the humility to say, I hope, but he said, I want to use this for the Lord's kingdom. We need to understand and trust the Lord in our ways to make sure that we are not arrogantly planning, but dedicate our plans to God humbly. We also need to, letter B, confess your need for God's favor. Confess your need for God's favor. Humble planners know that we can do everything right and yet it still fails. <laughs> we can buy a farm that we have been planning for for years, the year before a drought. We can buy an insurance firm right before a catastrophe. But we must be reminded that we must trust all of our plans and trust them for the Lord's favor to be on them. Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. Friends, we cannot live unless the Lord sustains it. We may be believers, but we must trust in God. We must, how often must do we consult the word of God? How much do we consult God in prayer? He is real, therefore we really need him. Friends, we know this if you're a parent of any way. We know that it's the Lord's favor in any way how our children turn out, right? We can make the most Christian godly home. We can do everything that we think in discipline and instruction and guidance. And we know that if they turn out, it's not us, it's the Lord. How much do you trust the Lord and confess your needs for God's favor? We need it in all things. Therefore, let her see, acknowledge your achievements are a gift from God. Some men inherit a thriving business from their earthly fathers, but we are all heirs of God's generosity. If we do anything to accomplish notable, then we must remind ourselves that it is all a gift from him. How do we know this? Well, if a woman is intelligent, did she earn it or did she inherit it? If a woman is a great singer, did she engineer her vocal cords to sound the way it does? A great athlete, did he construct his muscle fibers? Do we know that, that someone who is a great achiever who said, well, I've worked hard to hone my skills, but even so, how much did God, God nudge and move our desires towards these godly aspirations? We can never set aside to say anything that we have done that is good on our own. We know that only God gives us through his goodness gifts for us to use. Let us remember Ephesians 2.10, for we are 
his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. You who you are who you are because of God's grace and workmanship. He has saved you by his grace, and now he is making you who you are by his grace. Every gifting, very good and precious thing is from above. And as we plan, we must remember this. So understanding these, as we plan either arrogantly or humbly, the call for us is to humbly plan before the Lord. So you who are over planning, uptight, overscheduled, can't you see that you can find relief in humble planning? Only God can plan what's best. Trust God with your plans. Plan your best, but be flexible when they change. Stop using your pride to control for an excuse for sin. Being short with people because they're not following your plan. Being angry because your plan is not going the way it should be. Being angry with your family because they're not keeping up. How much more do you need to see that you need to humble yourself before the Lord? How much more fun will your trips be and, and your family will be less tight if you're more humble before the Lord? How much more will life be joy-filled if you trusted God with your plans? To you, maybe you are a burden because your plans didn't go the way that you wanted. The investment didn't go well because it, it just you trusted in an investment that didn't come through. You didn't get to the school that you wanted to go in. Hear this, friends. All is not lost. When you trusted the plans of, of an omnipotent, loving, holy, powerful God, your heavenly Father is working for your good. Isn't it good to know that God can use even your weakest plans for his glory? Isn't it freeing to know that when you did make a mistake that God's grace covers it all? Isn't it good to know that God covers your weakness? that he's using even this for your good to glorify him. May you find peace in this and your plans don't go your way. And maybe you today aren't confident in your eternal plans. Friends, as I said earlier, we are made for eternity. We're either made to live forever in hell or made forever to live in heaven and God made an eternal plan before there was time to secure his people through his son, Jesus Christ, to make sure that they spent eternity with him. Only the work of Jesus on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection can matter on the day of judgment. Today, the only plan and future that matters is your trust and relationship in him. So today, repent and believe, be born again, and know, be sure that your eternal plans are in the hands of a loving God who gave his son for you. You can trust God with your eternity, 
Brothers and sisters, you can trust him with your life. So friends, today, as we have been reminded in the scripture, let us all grow in trusting in God's plans for us. Let us pray. God, thank you so much for this reminder to humble our hearts, to humble us from our plans, to humble us from the concerns and plans that we try to make. God, I pray that you would remind us how to trust you for the future. God, I pray today that if there's someone here that does not have their eternity rested in you, that Lord, today, they would repent and believe and find the hope and joy of knowing a father who holds their eternity forever and ever in their hands. Lord, we are thankful for this. Help us to trust you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Hebron Baptist Church. We pray as you have listened, the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart that you may faithfully follow him. Most importantly, we hope that you've been drawn into a relationship with God. At Hebron, we believe that the gospel is the central message of the Bible. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, and died for our sins. But he was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. The most appropriate response to hearing this good news is turning from sin and turning to Christ. Don't stay far from God. Instead, repent and believe in Christ and be brought into an intimate relationship with him. If you would like more information about this life-changing decision, please contact us through our website at hebronbaptist.org, or even better, come see us on a Sunday morning. May God bless you as you follow him.